Okay, so I want to get us back on to uh, Seek to Speak. Um, and if you weren't here, you all know that I'd prophesied about a growth spurt. And in prophesying a growth spurt, we better be ready. We've talked about this being the year of opportunity in which we cattle and vanish. Do you all... Do you use that word? It's sad how much I actually use it. And in some context, context, I want to go. We really need to cut. We nearly really need to grab a hold of that one and just catch myself on. So Catalambano meaning to to grab a hold of and to seize. So this is the year of opportunity. And a growth spurt, we can't think that we just have to sit there and all of a sudden all these people are going to come flocking in. But what we have to do is be ready and be primed to seek to speak. So I want to pack that a little bit on further or further this morning. So all we've covered so far is, if we only seek to speak, we won't really have anything to say. Likely we'll say things that somebody else told us to say. If we simply seek to speak, we'll have nothing to say. But if we seek, if we become seekers who want to speak, we will find treasures worth talking about. Proverbs 25.2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and to search out a matter is the glory of kings. It's the nature of royalty to seek and to search. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. God hides stuff. I know, I, I still, I know I've said this from the front, but there's still part of me goes, really? Really? He hides stuff? Absolutely. He hides things in your life, he hides things in your past, he hides things in the present, and they're all there to be found. Jeremiah 33.3, he says, call to me and I'll answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. So if we're going to go after him, we're going to have to start digging and start seeking. But we also want to speak, and let me read from Romans 10.14-15. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So we are sent and we need to tell our stories. And we all know that people can argue with your theology. Told you about the guy in work and he's talking about hyperdimensionality and concurrent universes and all this kind of stuff. And I just went... Look, I don't really understand a lot of what you're talking about, but what I know is that I'm loved. And he went, right? Never heard it said like that before. Full stop. Because it's my story. It's your testimony. So share your story. And when we testify about Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And it stirs up Holy Spirit activity. Anytime you bear witness to anything that he's done in your life, the Holy Spirit will testify to the fact that it is his work. We're not saved by words anyway. We're saved by the power of the Spirit. So people can argue and will argue with your theology, but they cannot argue with your testimony. The story of the activity of God in your life through your relationship with him. Tell people how he's loved you. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your heart set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your lives as Lord. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confidence assurance that you have. And this do with gentleness and with respect. With gentleness and with respect. So don't push your faith on others. If people, if you're telling a story and somebody asks you a question, I would give them a little bit, leave them hungry. Why not? Can you tell me more about that? You know the guy I keep telling you about in work that always asks me? I mean, this week again, he said, you know, this has become, I said, I love this because it marks the end of a week and I'm really interested. What were you talking about this week? 
Ended up this whole debate with somebody else who was quite cynical. And I said, well, you're quite cynical. And she said, well, you know. I said, well, maybe you don't have to be cynical. Maybe there's better news than that. I'm thinking, how does this even happen? I'm trying to just eat my noodles. And I'm getting asked about Jesus. And to be honest, I'd rather just eat my noodles at this point. Anybody else a bit like that? I remember I was in sixth form and this guy said to me, how's your walk with the Lord? And I went, man, I'm eating my skips. So these opportunities just come, and it's up to us as to whether we continue to eat our noodles or whether we choose to answer the questions. So do it with gentleness and with respect. Is that not what God often does with you? And the times that he hasn't, you probably told him that he didn't have to be gentle and respect you. You reap what you sow. So uh, we also looked at ask. Ask, seek, knock, A-S-K. Come on. No, I still feel like I was on my own with that. I thought that was genius. Took Mark a while, but Mark says now that it's profound. I checked in with him afterwards, and I went, did you? And he was like, oh, profound, profound. So ask, asking is a request that comes from a relationship. It's not a demand. Seeking is a process that comes from the desire to find something that you've lost or something that you need to or want to find. And uh, we looked at Nathaniel and Philip, and Philip was from Bethsaida, and one of the translations of Bethsaida is the house of the hunt. We want to be the house of the hunt. We want to be on the hunt for what God's doing in our lives and on the hunt to reach out to be able to share what he's doing with us, with others. People with a purpose are on the hunt. And then finally, knock. It's an activity. Um, The dictionary defines it as almost violent that seeks to gain entry from one place to another by the correct means. It is a door that has to be opened for you, but you must request access. And then we looked at the parable that Jesus talked about the man, who the guy, he was knocking on the door. And the man says, go away, it's two o'clock in the morning. But the man keeps going. And Jesus says, because of the man's shameless persistence, the door will be opened. And I made the comment that shame will stop you from knocking with persistence on the door of your destiny. So go to the cross and remember that your sins are forgiven and that you're free forever to be who you were created to be. And please, I know that we take communion 12 times in the year, uh, the first Sunday of every month, but please don't let familiarity hide the powerful, powerful truth that's in there. We are free. We may not feel it. We may not even believe it. But in reality, we are free. So dig it out. Search it out. Okay, we're good? We're up to date? So can you follow with me? Um, I'm going to go to Acts 8, 26 to 40. And I'm going to cover this uh, quite quickly, but there's quite a lot in it. So um, if you can see this as it just starts to expand in front of you, search it out. Go away, take some time, read it through, reflect on some of the things I've said and some of the things that I haven't said and some of the things that you notice. This is Philip and the Ethiopian. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south. To, I'd love to know, could you do an angel's voice? What would it sound like? Would they sound like this? Or would it be, hello? Um, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
This is the passage of Scripture the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Jesus began with that very passage of, or Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they, this is cool, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Incredible story and so much in it. And in that time, I mean, one of the comments I want to make is an angel of the Lord, when it talks about the angel of the Lord, it's normally the the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, normally. And when it talks about an angel of the Lord, it's an angel. And you don't hear Philip going, what's happened? Oh my goodness. It's seemingly quite normative. But because it's normative then, and it doesn't seem to be normative now, we assume, well, that's not really what God's doing. What I would suggest is it was normative because it is normative. And not that we go chasing after angels, but they are a reality. They are called ministering spirits also in the Bible, and they are here to minister to us to help us get the job done. So don't be shocked if you've encountered them before um, and it's been very dramatic like uh, Dennis has testified to or whether you haven't even had a clue that you've just been speaking with an angel. It's normal. It's what he does. It's just part of his kingdom. And then the best bit at the end where uh, the spirit just grabs a hold of Philip and drops him somewhere else. Remarkable. All possible. God can do what he wants. But what we want to focus on in this is about the reaching aspect of this, about the seeking to speak aspect of this. So tell me, who was it that found Nathaniel? It's not a trick question. Oh dear. Who, who was it that found Nathaniel and brought him to Jesus? Philip. Who is it that's in this passage? Philip. Where was Philip from? Bethsaida. Bethsaida means the house of the hunt. He's on the hunt again. He's on the hunt again because he's a hunter. If we're hunters, we will be on the hunt all the time. So there's the glory story about Nathaniel. He's in there. Here's an even more glorious story. You want to have your stories? Be on the hunt. This is the house of the hunt. Our culture, our religious culture, has not required us to be on the hunt. This is the house of the hunt. I know, I feel, you're kind of sitting going, what's he trying to say? This is the house of the hunt. We're going to have our stories and our testimonies when we're on the hunt. Philip has this testifying about him because he was on the hunt. So if you want to have stories to tell, you've got to be on the hunt. And that looks like being in circumstances going, Lord, what are you doing here? Simple as that. What's Jesus doing in this circumstance? I want to get my noodles, but it's quite obvious that Jesus is up to something. This guy has no idea that Jesus is up to something in him. 
But if I am on the hunt, I'll recognize what he doesn't recognize. And I'll recognize that Jesus is also on the hunt for the girl that's across the way. She doesn't know that either. But I can know that because I'm on the hunt. So if we're from the house of the hunt, we're hunters. How does that sound? Is that what you would like to be? It makes life a heck of a lot more interesting when you're sitting in the traffic jam. Okay, what are you doing here, Lord? Take that attitude to everything that's happening in your life. Oh, well, you're going to be so heavenly minded, you know, earthly, yes. The only way that you're ever going to be any earthly use is by being heavenly minded. What are you up to here, Lord? What's going on here? Those moments when you're in, the, in Tesco's and that person that you were just thinking about. Do you ever have that one? I was just thinking about, I was just thinking about you. Oh, it's not funny. I was just thinking about you. Can I unpack that a little bit? What if that was a word of knowledge? What if that was the spirit just warning you that you were going to bump into this person you might want to be prepared it's just coincidence. Really? You're on the hunt. You start to notice things. Well, that's happened now three times that I thought of Nathan and just randomly bumped into him in Tesco's again. What is that, Lord? Well, I'm warning you. Ah, I get it now. We're on the hunt. Who was it that found Nathaniel? It was Philip. He was from Bethsaida, the house of the hunt, and he was always on the hunt. And he's at it again, but this time he's not on his own. So who else was on the hunt in this passage? Who? The eunuch? Okay. Anybody else? Two other people. Search it out. There was the Ethiopian eunuch, there was also the, an angel, and there was also the Spirit of God. There was Philip, there was an angel, there was the Spirit of God, and there was the Ethiopian eunuch. There were four people, four persons that were involved in this process. Who was on the hunt with me whenever I'm eating my noodles? Holy Spirit's there. The guy that's sitting there is asking me the question. I'm on the hunt because I'm from the house of the hunt. There's so much going on. Like we can say, oh, well, do you know, it was just this. I think at the end of it all, we're going to see a totally different story. It's like going to the Grand Opera House and we see this wonderful production. Oh, it's just great. And I went to see, I think, Starlight Express one time, was wowed for five minutes and after was like, oh, if they sing again, I'm going to rig my face. But it was this most amazing set. But there's all of these other things going on in the background. How many other people are employed? It's just unbelievable. And all we see is the front. And there's so much more going on. If somebody is asking you a question, the Spirit's already been present there. He's already been stirring and working with them. What does that do to me when I know that? Well, it means that I'm not on my own. And it means that I'm sowing seed in the ground that is tilled and ready for uh, seeds to be sown into. Does that make sense? It's not fruitless. It's not futile. And it's onto something. So take heart, you're not on your own. In the year of opportunity, of reorientation and realignment, uh, they were the three messages we gave, the prophetic messages at the start of the year, where we need to cut a lambano, the opportunities as they come. This is the perfect passage to demonstrate how we might partner with God and seek to speak. Philippians 3.12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, what do you think the Greek word for took hold of, as in Jesus took hold of, is there? Anybody? Catalambano? 
So he's catalambanoed us so that we can catalambano those opportunity in others. You're all staring at me like, there's so many questions this morning. It's just hard work. I have to do something. So I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Has he taken hold of you? Right. Well, he's taken hold of you because he wants you to take hold of other things. He catalambanoed us so that we can catalambano the opportunities as they come. We've been seized and laid hold of by the love of Jesus Christ, so we might do the same with others. Romans 10, 14 to 15. You can check that out again. I'm just going to read a first little bit of it. The passage that is, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And so it goes. The equation of love. God gives love, we receive and accept love, and then we have to lavish that love on others. We're got a hold of so that we can get a hold of others. The equation of love. God gives us love, we receive it and accept it, and then we have love to give. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. That's why we have, as a church have spent so much time expressing that we are specifically, intimately, deeply known by the love of God. Because if you know that, you can give that away. If I just tell you that and you're like, well, that's something that Colin says, you don't really own it to take it and give it away. But when you can look at somebody and say, look, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know that I'm loved. They will look at the whites of your eyes and go, they really mean that. What are they talking about? What does this even mean? Because you own it. You can't do this unless you have it. And God has given it to us, but some of us have not taken hold of what he has given to us. If that's you, you want to grab a hold of the love of God for you. If there's certain things that you struggle with, you can see it for others, but you can't see it for yourself, come and have a chat um, or go to God and say, I really struggle with this, God. I really want to accept that you love me. And he will tell you why, and he will help you embrace it. So back to the passage. Have you noticed how perfect the situation is? Philip is an expert in this area. He's in the right place at the right time. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, where Isaiah prophesies about Jesus. The eunuch is desperate to understand. Philip explains it. The eunuch wants to be baptized. And what do you know? There's water right there. And what do we do with that? We go, well, that's the Bible. It's just in the Bible. It was perfect. Oh, my. that's where it is. That would never happen for me. Well, here's the question. How do you know? I'd suggest to you that it hasn't happened for you because you haven't grabbed hold of the opportunity as it's come. I have missed opportunities. We have missed opportunities. This is an example. It's not the end of the matter. This is what God's all about. When we jump in and jump through the windows that God creates for us, when we jump out of ourselves and our understanding of our own limitations, we find that he is present in a way that we could never, ever have imagined. What we know from this is that God knows exactly what he's doing and he can line up things to utter perfection. Have you ever thought at times when the, uh, now maybe not all the time, but I want to use this as an example. If you're driving along and you're desperate to get somewhere and there's a tractor in front of you, it was more when we were down living in Balnehinch, it just happened all the time, it was incredibly frustrating. What if, what if 
that tractor was placed there because it needed to delay you because if you were delayed at that point, you would connect with that person. If you didn't connect with that person, they wouldn't connect with that one or that one or that one or that one. What if the efficiency of God looks a lot like hassle to us? What if he does things in a way that we don't quite understand, but when we yield ourselves to him, even though we're going, look, I don't know what you're doing, but I know it's you, I'm just going to yield myself to it. What if this passage communicates that God can dovetail and align things in a way that you cannot believe or understand? Remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. And I guarantee you that he's at it in your life and in the lives of the people that you're connected to. Those people that you work with, that you've just built relationship with over a number of years, and all of a sudden it comes to a climax and a question, that's him. All of the times that you got each other a cup of coffee or joked with each other or raked your faces or went, oh, not again. All of those times building up a relationship, building up, building up to build a relationship that was like a bridge that was strong enough to hold the depth of the conversation that needed to be had. God wastes nothing. He's present everywhere, all the time, always up to something, even if it is rest. Even if the kingdom is up to, stop reading your Bible right now. You don't need to. Go and play with your children. God would never do that. Of course he would. He's a good father. Seek first the kingdom of God. We want to stay close to him. God knows exactly what he's doing and he does it in utter perfection. So one story, we're seriously running out of time. One story, I was in my early 20s, not very happy, one of those, what is life and why am I here and is God real and all those things. And I remember lying on uh, the chair in mum and dad's living room and it was really quite a cloudy day and I said, are you even real? And at that moment, some light basks the chair that I'm sitting in. I mean, utterly basks the chair. I'm warm, it feels comfortable. I'm like, <laughs> What? No, it's probably just the weather. No, it's not just the weather. At that moment, when I ask that question, the sun breaks through, the sunlight hits me, it warms me up. Well, it was just a meteorological situation and it was a coincidence. You go to that tree if you want to. I'm going to go to the tree of life. He loves me. It is not coincidence. I have serious strongholds and unbelief in regard to coincidence. Let faith arise. He loves us. His timing is perfect. It's strategic. It's specific. And you can take the brush of coincidence and sweep it across all of your life. Or you can cut a lambano what's being given to you. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So the Spirit of God asks you to do something. We go, this is completely ridiculous, but it's you. All right, I'm going to walk. In that circumstance, we have not compromised ourselves. We've been transparent and honest, but we've yielded ourselves and we've walked on. And what does God promise? That he will make your paths straight. Even if you missed and it wasn't the spirit and it was a bit of cheese, your heart is for Jesus Christ. Why are we so worried about getting wrong? He looks at your heart. He looks at your heart. You're safe. Isaac or Anna could do something that I didn't want them to do, but if I see that their heart's right, you're going to love them for it because their heart's right. 
He's, he's not trying to control you. You're not a robot to him. He's looking at your heart. Okay, moving quickly on. Partnering with the Spirit. We need to stay close. We need to stay sensitive. And we need to not grieve him. This is Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The translation or the Hebrew word there, not Hebrew, the Greek word there is lupe, which is short for pain or grief, which is the word translated as to grieve. And its definition is pain, grief, sorrow, or affliction. The Holy Spirit is a person and you're in relationship with him if you have asked him to live in you and be in your life. He will never hurt you, so please do not hurt him. And if you do hurt him and you are aware that you've hurt him, apologize to him. And just say to him, I don't want to do that again. I'm sorry that I hurt you. He's a person and he is incredibly sensitive. Don't grieve him. Can I get you guys to come up? He is a person. We need to be obedient to what we're asked to do. So this is Galatians 5.25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Supernaturally living is really, really natural. Break down that word, supernatural. It's incredibly, incredibly natural. It's not that we've got to get all weird. And when we're talking to somebody and saying, I think that God maybe has this for you, that we start to do, oh, this must be Jesus. And, oh, we just be ourselves. Just share your story. Look, I'm a Christian and I believe that God speaks. And I just wonder, are you struggling with anything at the minute? Because I'd really like to pray with you. They may say, I really am, and break down and say, I would love it if you prayed for me. And you may think that they would go, go away, you strange individual. Supernaturally living is about living really, really natural. It's about being in the ease and flow of life. So he, Philip had two pieces of instruction. The angel said, head to this road. The spirit said, close, stay close to the chariot. Philip knew to do the rest. I in work have these big water bottles that we get for the water fountain in our um, store. And yesterday, it's too heavy, so I thought I'll roll it. So I just rolled it, and it had its own momentum. And as I turned the corner, it just took a wee knock. Just had to give it a slight kick. And as I kicked it, it went in the right direction. Only two pieces of instruction. So when God speaks, it's often incredibly simple and profound. We expect this detailed dream of instruction. Whereas he just wants to say, Claire, would you go and chat with that person? Scott, would you go and check into that shop there? Ashley, would you mind going there this morning? And it's a hunt. God's told me to go here. Could be wrong, but I believe God's told me to go here. What's he up to? Who knows what will happen? Are you up for this? Let him take a hold of you. Stand with me this morning. God is not out to micromanage He does not want to have you live like a robot. He wants you to be yourself. He wants to give you back yourself. And as he does that and has stories with you and you develop a history with him, you will find that you have stories to tell in every circumstance. And 
rather than feeling awkward and like you're shoving a square peg in a round hole, you'll find that you're more relaxed, you're more at your ease, you're living this supernatural life that is full of the ease and flow of the Spirit. So as always, I have some questions to help you to respond. Do you need to embrace again the love of God for you? Or do you want to stay close and stay sensitive to the Spirit of God? And as I say that about apologizing to the Spirit or grieving the Spirit, is there any area that you're aware that you're grieving Him and need to stop? Or do you want to catalambano the opportunities that you're being given? If you can say yes to any of those, or you just want ministry, come and join me in the front line.